0: Thank you for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant field life. To know more about the ministry or to support, visit RiverstoneChurch.net. May the Lord bless you today as you listen to this message. I'd like us to look to Acts chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 19 this morning. When you are there, if you would uh, stand with me. Uh, When you're able to turn there in uh, your Bibles, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19, we're going to read about the conversion of uh, Saul and uh, continue the story of the gospel going forward uh, to all of the world. Beginning at verse 1, the scripture says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The man who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing, and leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed. And entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Now Heavenly Father, we come before you. Uh, with thanksgiving in our heart for what you have done in our day, O Lord. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be together to reflect upon your word, to reflect upon this specific word that you have given us for this day. And I pray, God, that you would move upon us by the power of the Spirit, that we would walk in your grace and mercy, that we would hear what the Spirit would speak to us, O Lord, that we would stand firm upon your promises, that we would walk them out faithfully before you, and God, we just pray in these next few moments that you would move in power and in might through the Holy Spirit. Touch our hearts, touch our minds, help us to be faithful to you. We thank you for these things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. and Amen. You may be seated. This story is a very important uh, story in the book of Acts because as we work through The book of Acts, this particular story is told three different times. So Luke emphasizes this in the book of Acts in three instances. And so anytime you see anything repeated in scripture, pay attention to it. It's important. Everything's important in scripture, but when it's repeated, pay specific attention to it because God wants you to hear it over and over again. And here in the book of Acts, this particular story is told three different times. As we uh, kind of work through the passage, you're going to hear me use the name Saul and Paul interchangeably. Uh, many people say, well, God changed his name from Saul to Paul, and that's not entirely correct. Saul is the Hebrew name, Paul is his Roman name. And as Paul begins working among the Romans, he tends to use his Roman name over his Hebrew name. And so we kind of see this name used interchangeably, and I'll be doing that today as we work through this particular passage, but it all refers to the same exact person. Saul or Paul is the same person who uh, we'll be talking about in uh, this message this morning and also as we move forward in the book of Acts. We first meet, meet Saul back in Acts seven fifty eight, where he stood at the feet of the garments of those who were stoning Stephen. So his eyes Uh, We're looking upon Stephen as he was being uh, stoned to death. And as Stephen said what he was uh, saying about seeing the Lord Jesus at the right hand of God in heaven, uh, Saul heard that with uh, his ears and uh, would have kind of had some sort of recollection of that most likely when he has his own experience with Jesus here in Acts chapter 9 where Luke reintroduces us to him. Uh, from that point until this point, Saul or Paul had been actively persecuting uh, the church. So as Jesus was doing these miracles and signs and wonders among his people through the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the Apostle Paul, soon to be the Apostle Paul, Saul was persecuting the church. He was actively working against what was happening. He was in Jerusalem and now he was actually moving outside of Jerusalem because the church and the power of the gospel had moved outside of Jerusalem and he was heading to Damascus on the Damascus Road in order to persecute the church. So he wasn't satisfied with the destruction and death and murder and all of those things that was going on in Jerusalem. He was moving outside of Jerusalem to move against God's people. Now, with, when we think about Saul in this moment, Our our challenge with him is that we can't see Saul as someone who wasn't satisfied with his life. So often when we think about someone who doesn't know Jesus, we may think in terms of they really aren't happy. They really can't be truly happy. Well, Saul was entirely satisfied with what was going on, so much so that he was pushing after the church, persecuting the church going from place to place, house to house, thinking I'm doing God's work. He was quite content with his life spiritually, but he needed God's sovereign grace to arrest him. And so Jesus meets him on the Damascus Road and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he goes on to say, I am Jesus Christ. Whom you are persecuting. The others around Saul saw the light but didn't see anyone, heard the sound but did not understand the voice. And there are times in our life that we must think about that Jesus does things in our midst that other people kind of are on the periphery of but never quite understand. Other people perceive that something is happening or something is changing, but they never quite understand. And it's almost going to be impossible for you to explain. They see something different, but they didn't see Jesus meet you. They hear something different, but they didn't hear Jesus speak to you. But what you must do is be obedient. Jesus tells Saul, he says, I want you to go on in to Damascus. And in Damascus, the Lord is working in the life of a man named Ananias, who is already a believer, already a person of the way. He had already heard about Saul and Saul's persecution and pressing against the church. And God speaks to Ananias in a vision. And he says, I want you, Ananias, to go to this street called Straight. I want you to go to the Straight Street. And I want you to lay hands on this guy named Saul. And I want you to pray for him that he would receive his sight. Ananias, he knows about Saul and he's hesitant because he doesn't want to be caught up in the persecution. He doesn't want to be the one persecuted, He doesn't want to be the one dragged away to Jerusalem. He's probably heard about Stephen. He doesn't want to be the one who is stoned for his faith, but God says, go. And so what does Ananias have to do? When you're a believer, what choice do you have when God says, go? You say, no, how does that work? Yet God prophetically tells Ananias that Saul will be a chosen instrument for the gospel. And Ananias goes to the straight street. He finds Saul and he says, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So today, when you came in, you were on a road in which you came to church. All of us traveled along a road in order to come to church this morning. And maybe on the road that you came this morning, maybe you are blinded by the world around you. How many people come to church Sunday after Sunday and have scales on their eyes, hearing but don't hear, seeing but not seeing? Maybe you were on a road this morning. Maybe you were blinded by the world around you. Maybe what's been going on in your life and the tears that you have shed about what is going on in your life have kept you from seeing what God is trying to do. What the Lord this morning has sent me To tell you that today you can regain your vision. Today can be a new opportunity uh, for you. Today he can move you from the road to Damascus to the street called Straight, where you can meet someone who knows about Jesus and will tell you about the power of God. And God's supernatural power can come upon you and minister to you and drop the scales from your eyes and fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here this morning and longing to change you to move you. If you are here, you came on a road and you don't understand, you don't perceive. God says, I'm going to change the road you're on and I'm going to meet you and I want to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to see me afresh through the lens of the gospel. You see, when Jesus meets Paul, he doesn't hesitate. In many instances in scripture, we hear about Jesus meeting someone, and we call it a theophany because often it says, The angel of the Lord met him. But here it's very clear who Paul is meeting. We don't have to wonder, we don't have to couch it in theological terms. It is Jesus. It's not an angel of the Lord, but it is Jesus. And Jesus says emphatically in verse 5, I am Jesus. So there's no mistake, and Jesus says, Why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Jesus says. And what I want you to see in this moment is how Jesus identifies himself with his church how Jesus identifies himself with you and me and the challenges that we are going through. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? You know, I want, to be a, I want us to be as a people very cautious about what we say about the church. So often in Christian circles, you, you hear people talking about the church. And I always want to say not the true church, The true church isn't like that. The true church isn't backbiting. The true church isn't sitting on its heels. The true church isn't lethargic. The true church isn't asleep. The true church is awake. The true church is moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. The true church is pushing back the gates of hell. The true church is doing the work for the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus identifies his church and Jesus isn't sleeping. Jesus isn't laying back. Jesus isn't just kind of waiting for something to happen. Jesus is moving forward forward in grace and in power, and Jesus identifies with his church. Yes. 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 You may ask the question just a few chapters earlier, if Jesus was in heaven at the right hand of God, how is he the one now that is saying he's the one who is being persecuted? Because Jesus and his church are synonymous. This is why Paul later on, saw Paul later on as God uses him as one of the uh, greatest vessels to kind of put the flesh on our theological understanding of what God is doing in our day. He uses Paul to talk about this body of Christ and what a beautiful image it is that Christ as the head and you and I as all the parts joined and fit together. This is why we've talked about so often in this church the necessity for all of us to be fulfilling the roles that God has given us. From the youngest to the oldest, God has called you for a purpose in his church, it is not simply the one who stands behind the pulpit to make all the decisions and to make everything work. God has called you and me together to serve as part of his body with Christ as the head. That's right, that's right. Amen. And so, when Christ is the head, when the body is persecuted, you or I individually, when the body is hurting, you or I individually, it is the same as if Christ himself was being wounded and persecuted. Jesus sees it as exactly the same thing. So that's why we have to be careful when we speak negatively about the church or negatively about God's people. Because you can find yourself speaking negatively about Jesus himself. You know, we can all go to certain places or certain churches and we can observe this is wrong or that is wrong or this is wrong. But you know what the gospel pushes us to do is to pray about it, take it to the Lord in prayer, seek him after it. We don't have to flap our lips and tell other people about how awful it is. We can stand firm in the grace lest you or I find ourselves doing what the apostle Paul was doing and persecuting Jesus. Why are you persecuting me, Jesus says to Saul. Being in the church is being in Christ, Christ with us in our sufferings, in our persecution. And there's hope in that, that you are not suffering alone. But God Almighty himself, through the person of Jesus Christ, identifies with every situation that you find yourself in. He identifies with your hopes and your dreams and your fears and your challenges. Jesus identifies with you. You're never alone on the mission field because you have Jesus with you. You're never alone in your problems and your trials and your difficulties because Jesus is with you. But too often when we're walking through, we'll say, I'm all alone. I'm all alone. But Jesus said, "I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you alone. But I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to be with you. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to walk through you with walk through with you with every trial and challenge of life." Very clear here in this passage that the Lord Jesus Christ identifies very closely with His. Church, this is one of the reasons that we can find ourselves, as the scripture says, rejoicing in our sufferings. How? Does that even make sense to someone who's not in the church? To rejoice in your sufferings, to rejoice in the challenges of life, because in our sufferings we find ourselves identifying with our Lord. In our own persecutions, we find ourselves identifying with our Lord. So when you find yourself at the bottom of life, at the bottom of the barrel, in the difficult place of life, and you're not sure which way to go. You're not sure what's happening. You're not sure how you're going to even get out. Find yourself in that moment identifying with Jesus. What must it have been for him to be alone on his way to the cross? What must it have been like on the night when he had taken 12 men and he had had mentored them and he had been with them for three years? They loved him. They exalted him. They felt like he was the Messiah. But in the moment when it counted, every single one of them deserted him. What must it have felt like on that night when his eyes scanned over and he saw Peter who had just denied him three times when earlier he said, I'll never deny you. What must it have been like when he was beaten and spat upon? When the nails were driven through his flesh into the tree, his sufferings, his persecutions. You see, the the depth of where you have been in life or where you currently are in life, you will find Jesus there and your questions in your doubts, in your fears, you will find Jesus there because he identifies with us in our sufferings and in our persecutions. We also see in this passage where Christ is identifying with his church. We see the church active and moving as a supernatural church. Jesus is our miracle worker. When you read just these 19 verses, look at how many supernatural events happen in 19 verses of Scripture. Light from heaven flashes around Saul. He hears a voice. There's supernatural blindness. He meets the risen Jesus. Ananias has a supernatural vision. There's answered prayer for healing. There's laying on of hands. There's feeling of the Holy Spirit. There's scales that fall down. There's restoration of sight. Supernatural event after supernatural event after supernatural event that we find in Scripture. And then there's those who want to sit around and say, this doesn't happen anymore. It was only for once and done in order to get things going. And then God stopped and it doesn't happen anymore. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe that there's not a supernatural move of the Holy Spirit, even in our day. I don't believe that you and I have to just sit around and think and and wonder and go through all this theological sort of mumbo jumbo, kind of thinking, well, what's this, that, that, this, that, not knowing, well, can there be a miracle? Should we pray for somebody to be healed today or should we not pray for somebody to be healed today? Because if I'm gonna pray for somebody to be healed today, I'm gonna expect for God to do something. I don't want it just being some sort of theological exercise, oh God, please heal them today and not have an expectation in my heart moved on by the power of the Spirit that something supernatural just might happen. I don't want to go through the motions of church and doing all of these little things that we say, oh yes, this is spiritual. He sounds so spiritual when he's praying for a supernatural healing, but every single one of us walk away never expecting it. God is at work in a supernatural way in our day. I know we have brothers who, and sisters who have traveled the world here this morning and they could point to areas over here and areas over there and areas over there in which there is supernatural occurrences. And then the question comes to you and I, why not here in the US? Why not, why not here right now? Why are we not kind of seeing what, is, what we hear all the time is active on the mission field? And I went back and I look at the book of Acts and you know what I see? The supernatural occurrences All began with the down and out. The outcasts of society. Those who felt they were nothing and were at the bottom of the barrel. This is the first time that I see someone who is of the religious hierarchy kind of being baptized in the Holy Spirit in this radical, complete transformation. But up until this point, what we see is fishermen and tax collectors and people who are kind of following along. And the ladies sort of who were the outcasts then who weren't really thought that much could happen to the ladies. They're following along. God doing something in those who are down and out, so you and I must pay attention to what's happening on the mission field. We must pay attention to what's going on in those who are down and out and not look down our noses and say, well, they just don't understand. They haven't come up, they're still kind of mingling in these tribal religions, and we've got to call them out of it. Maybe our hearts ought to be broken and that we ought to pray when we look around at the debauchery around us, even in our own society, even in our own culture, even in our own country, that we ought to be moved to pray for God to enlighten a a, a mighty fire, to to light a mighty fire in our day, in our country, in our midst. And he has to do it somewhere. Why not right here? He has to do it someplace. Why not right here? Here, the supernatural visitation of the Lord changed the trajectory of the church through the life of the apostle Paul, one of the greatest persecutors through the church into uh, uh, threats of persecution, breathing threats, murders. The scripture says, why didn't God simply let Paul go to Damascus? Imagine, God could have done this in a totally different way, couldn't he? Paul, go to Damascus. Stay in one of the houses of one of the synagogue leaders there, and there's going to be a church who's going to come around. They're going to have a door hanger to hang on your door and bring you some Kroger food, and that's how you're going to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in that, right? That's why we're doing it. But we also believe that there must be something supernatural that takes place to pull someone from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And if we just relegate that to some sort of little vapid prayer that doesn't really mean anything and we don't see it, it's God coming down and snatching someone out of hell and bringing them into the kingdom of light. We're missing what God is doing in our day. break Saul's heart, there needed to be a supernatural encounter with Jesus to arrest him. And from Acts 2, the church has been a supernatural church, a praying, tarrying church led by the Spirit. Leonard Ravenhill says, the true man of God is heartsick." grieved at the worldliness of the church, grieved at the toleration of sin in the church, grieved at the prayerlessness in the church. He is disturbed that the corporate prayer of the church no longer pulls down the strongholds of the devil. See, that is where we must be. We must be disturbed when we don't see the supernatural at work. We must be disturbed when we're not seeing the signs and wonders following it should be a sign, a warning flag, a red flag to say, pray, engage, see God move. When people were baptized in The Holy Spirit It brought about the signs and wonders in order to exalt Jesus. Not that anyone could be puffed up in pride, but that Jesus Christ himself would be exalted. Those signs and wonders were to confirm the work of Christ as a Redeemer and Messiah. Yes, revival can get messy. Revival in the early church got messy. There was persecution, there was murder, but God's people kept praying. And God took one of the vilest persecutors, one who would say later, I'm the chief among sinners and transformed him in one instant by a supernatural visitation. And so we have to be a church that is open to the supernatural visitation of the Lord and actively prays for the supernatural visitation of the Lord. In our world today, there's pandemic, epidemic, sinfulness, apathy and it can only be counteracted by a supernatural visitation of God in our day, in our midst to transform people's hearts from darkness to light. As God does that, we see God's redemptive activity at work in people. God sovereignly changed the direction of Saul's life, meeting him in a supernatural way, taking him from the Damascus Road to the straight street. It says that Paul was a chosen instrument. 1 Peter 2 and 9 Peter tells us, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Just as Paul was a chosen instrument, you are a chosen instrument as well. God has a great and glorious plan for you but we have to be open and longing for what God wants to do in our day. This is why we have to continue to be a church of prayer. You know, we face things as a church body that myself and others who I talk to, we don't know what to do. You know, we can go through and kind of, you know, have the corporate dialogue, but ultimately that doesn't do us any good, does it, if we're not being led by the Spirit. And so we have to be a church that seeks God through prayer. And if we're going to pray, we have to believe, truly believe that God is going to do something through those prayers. When we come to the altar to pray for someone, we can't just pray because it looks good to other people or it makes us feel good that it's happened. We have to pray with expectancy, believing that God is going to transform what is going on in a particular situation. And we come together and we pray corporately. We're going to pray corporately, believing that God is going to transform the situation for us corporately. There are those who are content with high church where everything is routinized and you can expect what's going on and nothing changes or deviates. We plan it out ahead of time and this is exactly how it's going to go. And if someone gets out of line, we're gonna pull them in the office and talk to them later on about how they disrupted our flow on the outline. I've been in those meetings. And I won't do it again. <laughs> I won't do it again. God's saving. Saul was a means that you and I would hear the message of hope. There is no other person in history besides Jesus who has influenced the Christian faith as much as Saul, the Apostle Paul, in his writing and in his development of theology. There is no one who has influenced us as much here today apart from the Lord Jesus Christ as the Apostle Paul, as he has written so much of the New Testament for our benefit to teach us how we should live and how we should think about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if God did not it then, God can do it now, and I'm expectant for God to do something. I'm expectant for God to do something in our day. I'm expectant of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why long ago we said we will be a church for broken people, because there's no better place for God to do something than in people who are broken. When you think you got it all together and you think you can put it together in a nice little package, then you're wise in your own eyes. But when you see it's falling apart and I don't know what to do and you only have God to turn to, God steps in and takes control and leads you forward for his glory. We will be a people who expects the supernatural to occur. We will be a people who realizes that there is identification with us in this room with the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is in our midst and not simply in our midst, that we are part of him. When we hurt, he hurts. When we rejoice, he rejoices. When we're at the bottom, he's at the bottom with us. When we're at the top, he's there lifting us up. And that will be a place of redemption that there is no sinner so far away. There is no one who has done such awful things that they wouldn't be welcome here to come and to receive the grace of God because it may be someone just like Saul who was once persecuting the church, once going after the church, once chief among sinners. God, bring the chief among sinners to Riverstone. God, bring the chief among sinners in our day to Riverstone Church. God, bring him to the church that he might hear the gospel, that the supernatural power might move upon him, and there would be a transformation from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's what our prayer must be for our day. Stand with me, and we are going to pray and seek the Lord together. What we want to pray is for the continued move of the Holy Spirit, that we would be open, that we would be willing. We will understand that sometimes it gets messy, sometimes it gets difficult. Yes, it does. But we must be a people who are led by the power of the Holy Spirit. We must walk faithfully before him. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning as your people crying out to you, oh God. Yes, I realize that this morning there are people in these seats who are at the bottom of the barrel, those who are kind of wondering, God, where are you, God? What are you doing? And Jesus says, I identify with you in this moment. If you're in Christ and you're wondering what's happening, where it's going, how it's going to play out, Jesus is with you. He identifies with you the tears that you have cried last night and this morning. Jesus has been there with you. As a church, we must decide who we're going to be, where our comfort level is going to reside. in that upper room experience in Acts chapter two, was there some trepidation as people began to see these fiery things begin to fall like tongues? Or was there those that when it happened on one and another saying, Lord, baptize me too, baptize me too, oh God. Oh, how I love the missionary stories They keep it fresh in our heart that there is a God at work. But I pray, God, do it here. Move here. Show your power here. Lord, every semester, the world comes to our doorstep. Light a fire here, oh God. the Medes and the Parthians and the Elamites and the Mesopotamians, all those who come from around the world, they're coming for some type of education, O oh Lord, but I pray that you would baptize them in the fire of the Holy Spirit, that as they speak with other tongues, God, they go back to their countries and nations, lighting a fire, O oh God, of the Holy Spirit. God, help us here. Man. Picture Saul. He wasn't convicted. He wasn't ashamed. With an entourage of probably his own disciples with him, he was marching to Damascus, breathing threats, ready to murder, ready to drag the Christians out, ready to take them back to Jerusalem to be put on trial. No mercy! And in an instant, in a flash of light, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Now go, go to Damascus. It's gonna be told what you're going to do And in another supernatural vision, speaking to Ananias. Ananias, you're going to go pray for this guy who you think hates you but I've transformed him. And you're going to put your hands on him. You're not going to do it from here, Ananias. You're going to go and you're going to be in proximity to this one who was once breathing threats, this one who was once coming after you, Ananias. He would have been at your doorstep dragging you off to Jerusalem, Ananias. But right now you're going to go and you're going to physically put your hands on him and you're going to pray for him, Ananias. And I'm going to baptize him in the Holy Spirit and I'm going to heal his sight and he's going to be my chosen instrument, Ananias. God, your grace in an instant will reach the vilest of sinners. Your grace in an instant can transform the most hardened heart. And so God, today we pray for your grace and mercy in our midst. Church, as you are praying. Those of you who are here, maybe you say this morning, I don't really know the Lord, or maybe I've I've made a profession, but I don't feel like Jesus is working in my life. I don't really know that He's there. I'm not really sure that I've made a commitment to Him. We want this to be the day of salvation. We want this to be the time where God moves you from the road to Damascus, wherever you're heading to, wherever you're going, and He puts you on the straight street where you're going to meet somebody who's going to pray for you, and He's going to see God's grace work in your life you're here this morning you say "I, I don't know if I know God I don't know if I know Jesus you need prayer this morning we're gonna invite you to come there can be those who will meet you and pray with you this morning but church as we pray as those who may be coming that the Lord is working in their heart as those of us who were part of the church continue to pray for God's supernatural work in our midst, that God would exalt himself, that Jesus would be exalted, his glory would cover the earth, that God would use us as his people to manifest his goodness in the earth, that we would be a people who would pray earnestly and seek him wholeheartedly. God help us. Help us, O oh Lord, I see your fire fall once again. Help us, Lord, to pray, to seek you. Help us, Lord, to tarry before you as the early church, just waiting. Acts chapter 1, waiting, waiting, praying, waiting, praying, and waiting. God, help us to pray and wait until the fire falls. Help us to pray and seek you to not become content, to not just be in our lives, going about our responsibilities, God, but to seek you earnestly day and night when we're in our homes, when we're in our jobs, God, when we're doing our responsibilities, that the fire, the power of God, the move of the Holy Spirit, God, would come upon us and we would begin to pray and cry out to you for a baptism of fresh in your spirit, oh God. Help us, Lord, by your mighty hand. Thank you for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope today's message encouraged you to take a step closer to Christ. If there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about, please visit our website at riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you this week, and may you walk in all of his promises and plans for your life.